No, I, on my end, it was perfectly synced. It was? And my end is the only end that matters. I don't know if you know that. That's what she said. Should I? <laughs> That's gross. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number nine of Catching Foxes uh, with Luke and your old pal Gomer. Uh, today is an interesting episode where we have decided to experiment with the theme, right, Luke? Yep. We're, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to just do a bunch of stuff because there's a lot of things that we want to talk about. We're going to do it for, but we're going to do those things for 10 minutes each. Yeah. So as soon as we get to 10 minutes, uh, Luke, what I'm going to do is we're using video Skype. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to signal, Luke, we have 10 minutes left. We have five minutes left. We have two minutes left. We have one minute left. Luke, stop talking. Luke, cut it. We are two minutes over. We are five minutes over. We are 10 minutes over. And then we'll go on to the next topic. And then the the, uh, whole time I'm going to laugh because I'm going to be thinking of Wayne's world. It was like, and five, four. Wayne, you're <laughs> nodding. <laughs> All righty. Uh, imagine being magically whisked away to Delaware. Hi, I'm in Delaware. Sorry, go on. Oh, my gosh. That was awesome. Thank you. It was an auntie will love that joke. Uh, <laughs> auntie, our target demographic. <laughs> uh, what, what's auntie's first name? Diane. So nice. So nice. Um, okay, so uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to each come up with topics. What if, Luke, we came up with topics that the other person had to talk about? So, like, you know, I could say, like, Luke, what is your experience on being on EWTN? Go. Well, the geriatrics part smelled <laughs> Well, in between the mass and the mass. <laughs> <laughs> and the part where I was inches away. From, okay, sorry. Go on. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, man. <laughs> I checked myself into a retirement community just so I could watch more of the mass. Okay, I'm doing the long send. <laughs> All right, for our, for our first topic, Luke, we're going to talk about Catholic media, specifically EWTN, uh, the ESPN of Catholicism. <laughs> if by Catholicism you mean death and the smell thereof. Ooh, that's sad. That and is old sad. candy corn stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, wait, wait, what are the things? Um, Weather's candy. Werther's Originals. <laughs> the we people who never, eat Werther's Originals are the target demographic of EWTN. We are now never going to be on EWTN radio. We have literally just talked ourselves out of a job. No, 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 no. Listen, listen. EWTN, I love you, baby. You know I love you. But you don't cater at all to millennials. And seeing as how me and Luca are millennial by at least one year, uh, we feel like this is this is this segment of the show where Luke and Gomer give EWTN tips for 10 minutes on how to be a better show, how to be a better when channel. When I was in college, Dr. Doyle, who's a professor at a Franciscan, the three months I was a com arts major. <laughs> remember that? Yeah, Luke, I remember every time you switched your major. And one you time I good. abraded you for it and you screamed and cussed at me. I got because life Let's is not relive hard. it. We got, we got eight minutes and 43 <laughs> seconds. Talk, tell me about Dr. Doyle. <laughs> so Dr. Doyle, I remember he was like, everyone brings us up every year. Look, you're not EWTN's audience. EWTN's audience, which keeps them alive, when, when, who you, where they get all other money from is from your grandparents. That's why it shows for your grandparents. Even the shows for young kids, quote unquote, life on the rock. I want to live my life on the rock. Is tailored for old people to be feel better about young people. That's mm. the whole point of that show. Yeah. You know what's great about Life on the Rock back in the day was when I was in high school, that was when Jeff Cavins led it, right? And uh, Jeff Cavins hey, also... Really quick, just in case you did not know, Jeff Cavins' dad punched him in the face. Sure, we've all heard that story before. Oh, yeah. Go Jeff Cavins' dad punched his... Jeff in the face, not me in the face. That'd be awesome oh, yeah, if he punched me in the face. Dad, I'm going to Bible school. <laughs> Ow! 
now you have a story to tell 20 million times. <laughs> oh, I guess you was he popular around the Ohio speaking circuit? No, I've just I mean, I don't fault him for this at all. I've just heard that a bunch of times. Oh, okay, okay. Well, he's living his life on the rock. It's in the it's in the biography. But anywho, so there was the show that was for youth. And every so often I would watch it. Uh, I wasn't a super fan, even though I was like a big Catholic nerd at the time. I loved Franciscan University Presents, where a bunch of theologians talk <laughs> than I did any of the others. But um, that show had one thing that's very awkward for me now, but had one thing that kept me watching. And that was they had two teenage girls that would, one would be like the co-hosts occasionally, and the other one would answer the phones in the email. And the girl that answered the phones, in the, the girl that was a co-host was like this pretty blonde who wore... I, I don't know. I don't know women's clothes. So clothing that old people would look at a young person and be like, that's respectable clothing, right? And then the other one wore like a t-shirt and like a choker. And she was like, she wasn't goth at all, but she kind of had that vibe. And I was really into that vibe at that time, <laughs> which is as a Catholic nerd, it was, I felt so conflicted. But um, keep in mind that this was when you probably were listening to the Deftones a lot. Oh, so much Deftones. Deftones, Limp Biscuit. Anywho, and a lot of German techno. But and no, no, no. And so I had a crush on this girl that answered the, the voice. So one time I sent in an email and I said it was Gomer. And she's like, uh, <laughs> Gomer. And I was like, oh my God, I made her laugh. Um, <laughs> but now, but now we're all grown up and I've done ministry with this person who is uh, maybe about a year or two older than me. And now we're family friends. Hi, Rebecca. Sorry if that made it awkward. <laughs> I'm not sorry at all. Sorry, not sorry. Um, but EWTN, Catholic programming. Luke, you have a little, a little bit of experience in Catholic media. Just a little. Uh, I have a lot. I know. What, what, I mean, what's going on? Like, you know, we wrote uh, symphonies and we were the culture and now we're like this. I mean, number one, we serve, I don't know. What would you say is a big problem? How about let's focus it on like EWTN and millennials or something like that? Well, one we don't watch or consume any of the stuff that's being made. Okay. Well, why? So it's, yeah. it's, it, well, it's, it's a self perpetuating cycle. Yeah. It's not made they for don't us. Make it Cause we don't watch it. We don't watch it. So they don't make it mm. just in case you guys want to know, we have five minutes left. Oh yeah. Two, a lot of it is the influence of uh, Protestant culture mm-hmm. to where we feel that we need to make Christian stuff as opposed to just stuff. I was a part of that. I fully admit. I think there is somewhat of a value to that somewhat. It's more about community than it is about content. That's a whole other discussion. Yeah. So I think we just we've just accepted it as the status quo. So I like that Protestant ethos where it's we need to make our own like Christian version of the popular thing. I remember yeah. when I was in high school, um, before I moved to Texas, my, I, I guess she was a youth minister. She was the confirmation teacher, and that was pretty much youth ministry at my church. Um, she would say, you tell me a name of a band you listen to, and I will give you the Christian equivalent that is as good or better. As good or better. Oh, no. Yeah, it was as awful. Good or better. And so I've I was been... like, what did I say? I said, uh, oh, man, you got to realize this is like 1996, 97. I said something like Limp Biscuit or something like that, and she went and got me a band that I don't think should have been in a Christian store, uh, Dr. Octopus or something like that, which at first I was like, oh, dear God. And then I started listening to it, and over and over again, there was this techno beat, and the person would come on, and they would go, we're the Latin Kings, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I didn't know what Latin Kings were at the time. Now, they're a gang. That's no, kind yeah, of a denomination no. or of sorts. Uh, out I in... went... What? It was... Uh... Guys, I wish I could tell you how funny it is that Gilmore is drinking Coke. I. <laughs> Why is that funny? 
I usually have beer right now. I didn't buy beer, so now I'm, I'm drinking a hearty Coke Zero. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I need caffeine. I just had my fourth kid on Friday that's via true, C-section. And my How wife just came home today. And I had, to, and, and I had to pay $2,000 to fix my car yesterday. Listen, but the important part is that Clash of Clans is having a promotion right now where all you have to do is pay one gem for a thing and you get like twice the speed for seven days. Okay, so I said that Luke, you, like, Luke, you are crucifying our time. Our time is <laughs> – This is not – listen, Aunt D is already bored. All right. Um, all right, let's switch to a new topic. No, no, no. no. no just one good thing I want, I want to say about this because I yeah. do think that this is really, really important. So we make Christian we, stuff and not just stuff. I like Make that your quote. own stuff. Yeah, make your own stuff. Make your own stuff. Create, don't just consume. You consume what you like. Mm. So Christians shouldn't be going out there trying, instead of making mad men, try to make happy men. Uh, no, no, I think they should go out. No, I'm saying like inst- they should not go out and make the mad, the Christian version of mad men, oh, which is no, happy no, no, men. No. They should yeah. go out you know, with less adultery, uh, but they should go out and make the next mad men. But really, what, I mean, I think the biggest problem is our culture is obsessed with the antihero now. Like totally, like no, mm-hmm. you know that ultra realistic. Everyone sucks. Everyone is cynical, yeah. but sometimes we do the right thing. Um, we're obsessed with the antihero, and I think like a lot of Christian culture can't stand that. Like everyone wants Superman, who's like the pure hero, and then you have in Man of Steel, Superman killing people and breaking necks and all that stuff. I got choked up during the, I went and saw Ant Man last night. I got choked up during the Batman versus Superman preview, and then during the Star Wars preview as well. Anyways, you have issues. Go on. Okay, I, th- I think we've killed this topic. Okay, so summary. EWTN could be better if they stopped trying to make Catholic stuff and just made stuff. So if EWTN exactly. made stuff – no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, and I, I just want to say this to everyone that's out there. We are making a podcast, and we suck at it, and we know we do, but we're trying to create something that is that is just us. It's not like the Catholic version of the Nerdist or yep. Leo nope. Laporte's Tech Talkers, you know, whatever it is. We are trying to create something that I think everyone would agree no one's going to copy us. But <laughs> <laughs> but that's the whole point is we're trying to make something that's uniquely, ridiculously us. And if you listen, great. If you don't, uh, you're probably not a Christian anyway. So, yeah, we're okay with that. Heathen. All right, Luke. Next up. Next talk. <laughs> Jim Beckman. Jim Beckman, Youth Discipleship. Go. Look. Oh, I just said your last name. (laughs) Son of a bitch. Okay. Okay. I'm going to start the clock now. Okay. Go. Gomer said my last name, which is. (laughs) You have to edit all that out now. You're a monster. (laughs) You're a monster and you killed three seconds with your perverted mouth. All right. So I can't. While talking about a superhero of Catholic youth ministry. (laughs) Exactly. I can't say why. Uh, this came about because of my job, <clears throat> but I can't say that I had the opportunity to work with him recently, and I am so work with, who? Work with Jim Beckman. Okay, what does he do? He who is, your is daddy and what does he do? <laughs> our mom says that our dad. Okay, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the kid goddess. All of the kid goddess. <laughs> Never talk to strangers. Okay, so um, I was a deep cut from that film. Jim Beckman is a youth minister who now just uh, started to work with the Archdiocese of Denver to do leadership stuff with people around the Archdiocese, which is really exciting and cool. I think he's – I can see the time. You, I wasn't expecting you to throw that <laughs> – 
This is going to be either a great or a horrible episode. Luke, talk through what I'm doing. Pretend like I'm not doing it. You are doing the rookie mistake of teenagers on stage with a microphone who constantly be like, Hi, my name is... Oh, hi, Sarah. Hey, my name... Luke, just talk through what's happening. I've been teaching teenagers for over 10 years now. So you've become one. Pretty much. Uh, the, The first time I ever taught was in 2004, which is oddly enough. Anyways... Uh, Jim is a youth minister, speaks at a lot of conferences, things like that. And he's really, I think, been a strong advocate for dramatic change within um, American Catholic youth ministry, mm. uh, trying to change it from more event driven stuff to intentional discipleship. Mm. Mm. Now, you met him at a conference with fancy diocesan people. Um, my fancy experience. <laughs> yeah, fancy something people. people. Well, I mean, he's a diocesan <laughs> person. Not, I'm not implying that you are. Uh, no, 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 and he blew my mind with the the honesty, the realism, and just like you knew this guy knew what he was talking about. And so from that point on, um, I always kind of like paid attention to what he was up to. And when he left everything else to go join the Augustine Institute and start Y Disciple, I was like super, 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 super excited, started following along. But I never met him. I was never a part of the Steubenville crowd at that time. So I never met him. I never got to talk with him. Um, and now I've, I've met his son, I've met his wife, I've met him. Uh, me and his wife are Facebook friends, um, uh, and, uh, and we're in the same, like, evangelization forum thing. And uh, Who are you not Facebook friends with? Go on. Paul McCartney. Um, but he, uh, so anyway, so he's, I'm discovering all this, like, wealth of riches and just amazing stuff. But he has this great line. So there's this guy named, um, we'll call him Everett, because that's his name. And uh, he was talking to me one day about his conversion in how he did youth ministry, which is just along what Jim did. So it's like Jim does this thing and then he's affecting this change. And part of it is he asked this guy, and I've been a youth minister for eight years. I've been at huge parishes and slightly smaller parishes, parish. Um, and I've done youth ministry, big, big event driven, where even my weekly meetings are event driven. So I say have 450 kids coming weekly um, and trying to get 450 high school kids, 400 high school kids in a weekly thing, you just make these huge events, right? You just shift them along. Um, but he asked this guy, called up this guy, Everett, and he said, who are your most, like, who would you say is your most, like, authentic disciple? Which teens do you not have to worry about? You know that they're going to go to college, they're going to be amazing. And he started thinking, he was like, oh, well, I got 250 kids in my group. I got 150 kids in my youth group, you know, whatever. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not asking how much do they like youth group, because that's not a problem. You can get kids to like youth group. Somewhat. Um, the question is, how many of those kids are active and intentional disciples of Jesus Christ, right? And so from that, it became this this whole realization. And when I was having this conversation with Everett, and he was sharing this with me, Everett made the realization, and I'm making the realization as he's telling me this. He said, oh, it was about the 20 teens that me and this other core member who gets it was involved in in a one-on-one mentoring sort of way. And I started looking back at all those teens that are like rock stars in their faith and doing all this stuff. And there are a lot of teens who, you know what, they're probably going to get married in the church. That's important to them. But they probably don't go to mass very often. That, I would say, is my biggest, you know, they had wild and crazy college, young adult life, probably have a decent job, and now they have a little bit of God in their life. 
That's exactly what I wanted to avoid. The people who are amazing, who are holy, that I would say were teenagers who are still holy as young adults right now. I've been to their weddings and seen their babies baptized. Um, those are ones that I had a sort of, at least some level of one-on-one mentoring. And that's what Wide Disciple is basically trying to be. It's like, we're not a program. We're not another thing where you just pop in a DVD and then you have simple discussion questions. It's a process where you go deeper and deeper into your relationship with God and also in your relationship with a mentor who already has that. I don't know. Is that what you were seeing when you were meeting him? Absolutely. But I was only part of it. The other part that really struck me was this is a guy who uh, I think a lot of people, if you were to identify who are the heroes, and I hate to put it this way, of um, our, not brand of Catholicism, but our circles. Okay. So I'm putting like us and Life Teen and Net and Focus, uh, Subinville, obviously. Totus Tuus, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the one that everyone, he's one that everyone knows. Yeah. He's worked with almost all of those people. Uh, he's one that everyone looks up to and respects and the a humility that he has while also driving home really important stuff is unreal. I mean, absolutely unreal. He is everything I hope that I can be as a professional in this field. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean that in a way of not just like, not like a, I don't, I hate to put in terms of as a profession, but just as, you know, as a person who's involved in that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. He is for me. And so he has never been like a personal mentor to me. Like I've never had, I have friends who are close with him who he would know, you know, knows their lives, maybe been to their weddings or whatnot. But I'm, I'm, so I never had that kind of relationship with him. I'm always been like an outsider looking in. And when he has given his training events, those were ones that I always went to. We also had him at a, at a former parish of mine. We had him do the parish mission. And I just remember being blown away by his story, his life, all this stuff. Um, but, uh, but really the, the whole idea that he is, I mean, he's authentic because number one, you, you have no doubt that he's not a, a man of integrity who's following Christ, right? Yep. And yep. that that integrity shows through. Like, I would say my biggest struggle in following Christ, like, I like to say I'm authentic <laughs> as a believer, but that really means, what I mean by authentic is I, I don't have a lot of integrity, which, you know, in terms of the Latin word integras, meaning whole. Like, I don't have a wholeness. I don't have a, 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 a handle on my whole self that I've more or less got all these parts moving in the same direction. I'm still very fragmented, but I'm honest about that fragmentation of myself. And I feel mm-hmm. like he's one of those people that's honest about his about his his integrity. Like he's one of those people that you're like you're rock solid, honest. You practice what you preach. You live your life consistently. Yep. You know all that. And when people like that talk, you can't help but listen. And um, one of the things that really impressed me about him was in all of my work in Catholic education and with in youth ministry, you don't have a lot of people who actually give out practical advice. And yeah. by that, I mean one that is like it. It is smart. It is specific. It is is measurable, accurate, or realistic. And he gave like practical advice, and I was like, "Oh, wow!" So that's how much. Okay, great. That's awesome. You know, yeah. it just that really blew me away. Like he actually was able to say, "Do this for about like eight months, or whatever, and you're good to go." Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, that's a real answer. All right, <laughs> I think we're done with that. Yeah. Uh, and then, really quick, um, this is a brand new thing that we are that we are uh, doing here. This little. 10 minute. And I think it's pretty late to say this is all stuff we're going to dive into at some point in time as yeah. well. It would be people that we interview or other topics we're going to explore at a more depth. This is a lot that is going on. It's been about two weeks since the last time the, we met. So we're just 
we kind of wanted to hit a lot of uh, different stuff here. So yeah. I'm enjoying this. This is kind of interesting. All right, you're up. Okay, I want to talk about race. Oh, gosh. All right. So um, as many of you guys know, I live out in Cincinnati, and we had a horrible incident happen on July 19th where an African-American male was uh, pulled over for not having his license plate on the front part of his car. And he did not have his license on on him. The cop became extremely upset, and uh, he shot the man in the head, and this man died. Uh, and the cop's body camera caught the whole thing. And this is at the University of Cincinnati, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's on the outskirts of it. I, yeah. I mean, it's, if you well, go, he's a university policeman. Policeman, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this guy's not part of the university at all, and uh, it. I watched it. I mean, I watched this a tape of this man, of him dying, and it's horrible. It, me and my fiance just spent probably about an hour or two just talking about it, and we watched the video, watched it a couple times. We watched. What the hell is that noise? Oh, sorry. That, it's like oh, it's a car outside. That's really loud. It's a motorcycle. Sorry, I like the it. funniest like, thing yep. is you are being so serious. I know. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> the apocalypse. Uh, <laughs> um, and you just shut down. You're like squirrel. <laughs> no, and it honestly like startled me because I was so in the moment that I was like, oh, a demon. Uh. It, it really was loud though. <laughs> it was okay. Mm-hmm. Deep weird. breath. Let's take a deep breath and restart. So you and Aaron watched the video several times and had a conversation. Yeah, and you know I used to be very right wing Fox News Republican. I'll never forget right- when Fox News first started. You were like, or like when it was early on, you were like, I'm I'm pretty sure this is the best thing that has happened to news. <laughs> and I remember you like deliberately being like, Fox, this is really exceptionally great. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Wait, are you being serious? Yeah, no, I 100% remember you saying that back in college. You in college, you were rooting on Fox News. Yes. I, well, I remember, when, I, when I started school, I was still a Democrat. And then it was a 9-11, how George Bush handled that, and being at Super Bowl, that, that changed me. If you recall, I had a God is not an American t-shirt that I used to wear. Oh, I remember it had that. an American flag and said, God is not an American. And you then were once so edgy. You were so I was, edgy. I was trying to explain to Aaron earlier today. We were in the car, and Furthest Teams Forever came on uh, their first album with Chris Carava. And I was trying to explain to her like w- what I was like back there. And I was like, "Atrium hey, Luke was very emotional." <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> okay. So uh, you being you know, very Fox Newsy, what, what perspective does that give you? I, I hate to say very Fox News. Can I just put a little thing about Fox News in this? Yeah, yeah. When people right. talk about Fox News, there are several different types of people who consume Fox News, but it tends to very to skew very heavy to <laughs> the EWTN crowd. But um, what I mean by that is people – so the reason why Fox News is different than C- CNN but more similar to MSNBC is that Fox News views itself as conservative news, Right. And when you actually – when you start to label yourself that way intentionally, what you end up doing is you're not just a filter. Everyone has a filter. So they mock the liberal media, CNN, for having nothing but Democrat you know, or liberal reporters and all that stuff. But the difference is activism. See, people don't tune into CNN to get their talking points to go out and battle the issues. People turn into CNN to watch the news. And that news, because of filtering that you can't turn off your personal biases, will always be left of center, center or left of center. Because that's who works there, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Ted yeah. Turner is a huge liberal, but that so when we focus on it from that perspective, 
Um, Fox News is not meant to be a news organization so much as an activist base for, you know, right or far right um, conservatism. And that's where the problem with Fox News breaks down is it's kind of like you were saying earlier about uh, don't make Christian stuff, just make stuff as Christians, right? Uh, It's like this is the conservative version of the news. So right when you say that, you're already making it an editorial rather than a, you know, it's an opinion piece rather than just the news. And so I feel like people don't watch Fox News to learn about what's really going on in the world. They want to learn how to, they want to get their talking points to go get in an argument. They want mm-hmm. to ratify their own values. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And it, it uh, and, and you know, and I which is what the MSNBC is on the left. That's what well, that, you tune in to absolutely. get a, a, an editorial on the news, not just the news. Yep. And there's a lot of people that are in my life or that I am with who I genuinely love who watch that and who really believe what they are what they are talking about and I'm not trying to downplay those people or I'm not trying to right. say that they are, are stupid or yeah or idiots or any of that stuff. It's just this is just kind of like where I'm at right yeah. I, mean, I think that there's some very earnest and well meaning and there's some points that I honestly do agree with as as well so yeah I mean but, if in terms of activism we would go Fox News more than we would go MSNBC oh I was I mean I remember being I would watch MSNBC in college and be so furious over yeah. what I was saying. Yeah. I mean, but anyway, so I'm going back to the point about what's happening here. This happened. This guy was killed less than a mile from where I work, about a, maybe two, two to three miles from where I live. This was, and this was in my backyard, and I'm horrified by it. I'm absolutely horrified, and I'm bothered that no one is talking about it. I mean, people are. It's no one. Oh, sorry. Let me backtrack. Are within the popular conscious? It's there. Everyone is talking about it. But there are more. When I go on the Facebook, this is really what it's all about for me. There are more people outraged over the lion being over the um, a liberal reaction to a lion being killed than what happened to this man. He was murdered point blank for no reason. And yeah. no one cares. This stuff keeps happening. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm at a point now where I kind of think that institutional racism is a thing that we need to be aware of. Yeah. You, you, you don't know, like, be- Did you not believe that beforehand? No, no. I thought it was absurd. I thought, like, no, just oh, get over it. You just have to work hard and get over it. And if we all just, like, work hard and try to be the best people that we can, this will just all just go away. And I think that is the dominant narrative for – for white conservatives, because we view ourselves as, um, and I would put myself in that view. I mean, especially since I'm so white, I'm wearing an undershirt, and you can't see where the undershirt ends and my skin begins. But um, <laughs> down my fair Irish skin. But the <laughs> the whole point of it being, we don't see it, right? We don't see it because it doesn't affect us because yep. we control and we have everything. So my little story is, I remember being so angry that BET existed even though I used to watch it like nonstop, that uh, because I would be like, how racist would that be if we had a WET, which also is a very inappropriate, you know, like, wet, right? So the uh, the white entertainment television, wet, right? Ugh. That would be that would be so awkward. And I said, but why is it totally okay for black people to have black entertainment television or have a bunch of people walking around yelling black power, black power, brown pride, and then white people be like, white power. Oh, no, I'm not a racist. I just really want to affirm whiteness, you know? And all of a sudden, that's mm-hmm. like everyone loses their mind. And I, I couldn't understand that until one day I heard a guy say, uh, 
He's like, oh, they do have white entertainment television. You didn't know that? And this, I was like, what? And he said, yeah, it's called NBC, ABC, Fox, you know, like CNN. <laughs> and he said, how many, how, many black, how many black people were on Friends? How many black people were on Seinfeld? And you're like, well, there was that one guy once. How many black people were on Frasier? How many black people were, and he just went through all these shows, and I'm like, yeah. holy shit, how many black people were on Cheers? No, no, you know, and you realize we don't see it because that's people. But for black people looking out and they all they say, see a white. It's just a see a white. And so you you ask yourself, if I was a black person wanting to get Cliff Clavin's position on cheers, the institutional racism would just be like, nope. They, they just wouldn't even be considered. Yep. Yep. And I just like, you know, I used to think that I used to be very upset with people when they'd be when they talk about the Confederate um the Confederate flag being evil. And how it needed to take it down until the shooting happened. And at first, I was like, of course, you're going to blame it on the race thing. Well, let's not talk about it. if he's like a mentally handicapped. Or sorry, if he, not, mental not, illness. Not a mentally handicapped, but if he has a mental illness, which I think is a real issue, actually, within our, our culture yeah. and guns. Anyways. But then I kind of stopped and I thought, I think it was me and Aaron, we were, I'm talking about this. I, I'm a white guy who grew up in of the suburbs. I don't know what it's like to see that flag. Yeah. And like, I feel like this is for a group of people who thought that I should be enslaved. Now, there are people down in the South during, during the time of, of the Civil War who were against, who were against all that stuff. And that's, and that's like, that has, and that has some weight to it. But like, as if, I mean, I, like we need to, as white Christians, and I don't want to, put us I don't want to put people into groups nor do I want to label but if you are one and if you haven't tried to put yourself into another man's shoes something's wrong we have to be willing to do that because if not we're allowed to, we can just we can kind of become assholes <laughs> you know like I mean yeah. like honestly like I don't know what it's like yeah like the South Carolina right South Carolina yeah yeah South Carolina yeah where the shootings happened, the, the Confederate flag is not able to be lowered. Did you know that? It's actually chained and padlocked at the top of the flagpole. Yeah. And you have to – it has to take an act of their state congress in order to lower it. So while the American flag flies at half-mass, the Confederate flag is full up, you know? And so – and this has been the first time that that flag's ever been taken down. And I just think about – for me, uh, I'm becoming more aware of this stuff. But my response is not – I feel like this is the, the kind of like, you know, speaking political labels. The liberal response is we got to start legislating things to change stuff, right? So we need to pass anti-discrimination laws so that people can get jobs. But my problem is – and I think that this is what Dr. Martin Luther King was getting at. You got to change their hearts then the change in the culture will happen. But at the same time, he was for the civil rights legislation, which libertarians hate, um, and all that stuff. That, uh, that I think there's this real, a real struggle between how much do we as a society try to affect social change from the top down, and how much do we as Christians try to love our direct neighbor, right? So you got, you know, my parents' neighborhood's super diverse, right? I grew up in an all-white neighborhood. There's one black family in my entire neighborhood, Right. And my brother was awesome at basketball. So I knew them because my brother would play basketball with them. And that was it. 
I didn't associate with them. We didn't ride bikes together around the neighborhood or any of that stuff. So I wonder, you know, for me as a Christian, my 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 goal is constantly now, how do I not just put myself in their perspective, but how do I befriend intentionally these people? And how much then when does it become like pandering? Like, I'm gonna befriend you so that I can tell my liberal friends that I have a lot of black friends. Or, you know what I and mean? You turn like, a person into a project. Even if the project is yourself, they're a part of that project as yeah. opposed to an authentic relationship. Yeah. So I don't think and, we're gonna solve race right now. But if you could oh, give them no. one thing as the ten minutes end, if you could give them one piece of advice about this university shooting, what would it be? Please pay attention and care about what's going on here. It's more important than people's reaction to the stupid line. <laughs> pay attention and really understand that these people lost a brother. They lost a son. Like, And who cares? Who gives a crap about his rap sheet? He was killed for no yeah. reason, and that is wrong. Jesus weeps at what's happening right now. Yeah. And right. We should be too. We should be too. Amen. Sorry, I had to take Cecilia P. Ran up oh, to her funny. room, found out she's not in her room, which means she's in my room with mommy who's trying to sleep with baby. <laughs> All right, next topic we're going to talk about is weddings. Weddings are fun. Um, my little experience, uh, I don't know, I mean, I'm, I'm married, so that I had a wedding, uh, but I also teach. Occasionally, I teach a Theology of the Body module for our Engaged Encounter group, our Engagement Couples group. Um, so that was a lot of fun. I just did that. My son was born Friday at 7.35 a.m., and then Ooh. on Saturday at 8.45 a.m., I had to give a talk to these engaged couples. And I walked in. There were 10 couples. And the coolest thing was, like, three of them were former teens who are now back to get married. So it was so awesome. But I digress. I've been married for six years. My wedding was amazing. Everyone had a good time. Everyone had a good time. Yeah, Luke, yeah, we did. It was great. There it was you awesome. go. Um, <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> and uh, but now my my old pal Luke's getting married. The last bachelor. Finally. Last bachelor. In a world of bachelors, he was the last bachelor who bachelored. It's true. That's all I got. Early man now, dog. Okay. So uh, how's the wedding planning going? <laughs> the keys. What's up? How is the wedding planning going? Oh, it's the most stressful thing ever. It's, it's good. Oh, um, hey, 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 breaking news. Breaking news. Tom, breaking Mastrian, news. Tom Mastriani, Tom M, just sent me a Gmail. A Gmail. Just sent me an email on my Gmail. Hey, guys, just want to let you know I love the podcast. Thank you. I've been consistently listening to a lot of garbage over the last several years, so I'm happy to have discovered your podcast. And I'm not saying it's the Kirk Cameron movies of podcasts. Quite the opposite. <laughs> I love the banter and honest dialogue and the relevance of the discussion, not instruction. It's a language I've forgotten to speak or never really did and one I'm trying to learn, especially as we press forward in our post-Christian age. So please keep up these episodes. It takes me back to just hanging out in everyone's dorm rooms on the wing and making me regret not spending more time with household brothers, such as yourselves. Luke, congrats on your engagement. I'll keep you and your bride-to-be in our prayers. Gomer, congrats on number four and numbers one, two, and three, since I'm not sure I ever formally congratulated you on them. <laughs> Thanks again, guys. Tom. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, Tom is such a good dude. I'm gonna. I'm I gonna, was a good, good dude. Hey, well, tell me about your your wedding planning while I uh, send a message to Tom. So here's been the crazy part is, and I think I'm I'm okay to talk about this. Yeah, Aaron's not one to really care about tradition, and it, by that I mean she will go. Well, why do we do that? What's the point? Ergo, lots of people who are invited to our wedding are probably going. Why didn't I get a save the date? <laughs> you know, because when we only have X, you know, we're trying to do a wedding, we're trying to keep it as cheap as we can. Yeah. 
And that is intentional. It's not that we're like, you know, I don't, like, you know, we're not like in the street going, we need money. It's just, you know, we're trying to be prudent and whatever. I don't know why I'm trying to justify this. Anyways, that's probably an issue for my counselor. Um, <laughs> so, okay, let me, let me break it down. How many wedding fights, wedding preparation fights have you gotten in? Oh, like several. Oh, several meaning five? Several. Oh, I would say anywhere between five. Yeah, probably like five to eight. Five to eight. Five to eight. Me and my wife got in two fights, and they lasted about four minutes. The first fight was over who was going to be on our guest list because my family's all from my parents' family and all that stuff. I never grew up knowing my cousins and stuff like that. I do a little bit more now, but um, I don't know my mom or dad's side of the family very well. I can't name all my uncles and aunts' names. I just don't know them. So when it came to my wedding, my wife, we are getting married in St. Louis. All of her family for like seven generations on both sides are from St. Louis. So she is like, my great aunt, great, great aunt Gina or, you know, all these people. And I'm like, no, she can't come. I want, you know, insert, you know, Chris Kravonik. I want my friends to come. When was the last time you called him? And I was like, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because the answer is years ago. But <laughs> I still want no, them to I be. love Kravonik and I do. Yes, yes. Well, it wasn't Chris. I was just pulling someone. But uh, I wanted yeah. friends to be there because my friends are my family. But she wanted all of her family to be there because her family is her family. Her extended family is her family. And I never had that experience. So we got in the fight over the guest list. And the second fight was because of you, um, which was I wanted a a group that you introduced me to, Me Without You. I wanted one song from them. And she's like, no, they're weird. They scream and yell and talk. And how? That is not the type of music you play at a reception. And I said, I just want one song. And she said no, and then we fought, and then she said, fine, one song. And we played that one song, and literally that was the only time no one danced on the dance floor. It was, um, it was just you and me, and you tried to dance. Oh, sorry. You, no, you I, just, I was just going to say, except for you and me. Yep. And you tried to get uh, your mom. Your mom's like, Michael, no. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not even, doing this. No. Even, even my mom knew that was inappropriate I'm for gonna me. I'm going to go watch Rocky. Um, <laughs> oh, Jesus, God, I got to go watch Rocky now. Just get that Philly roots back in me. You know what I'm saying? That's literally when I watch Rocky with my parents. Um, they get in arguments over where the L train is in the city. That's oh, that's awesome. the L train over by 4th. No, Tur, it's on Fish Street. No, it's on 4th Street. It's over by Sam's, that deli. Look, the girl is right across the street. <laughs> they could go back I and forth. I love your parents. I know, um, they're awesome. No, okay, and, and when I say five to eight fights, I realize that sounds like it's a lot. It, it, it hasn't been anything like huge intense but there there has been probably like one or two things that one was the invite list we had to cut ours down from 225 to 100 oh yeah and it was awful because there were people that i really wanted to invite people that i thought like man i mean i'd love to have them either like either a read or guys that i was in their wedding yeah yeah i mean the only guys that i invited whose wedding i was in are 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 two other good friends from college John and Adam, who, by the way, I think if you can bring your stuff, we should do a podcast with all of them. I am. I'm really going to bring my other oh, microphone. Okay, We're good. totally going to do it. It's going to be yeah. our first ever fake live podcast. So that's going to be awesome. Thank you, Southwest Airlines, for sponsoring this podcast. Oh, wait, they're South- not. I'm just going to throw stuff in a suitcase. Southwest.com backslash catching foxes. Um, <laughs> They'll give us $400 for every visit. Not true. But uh, since Southwest, I will do whatever you want us to do to promote you. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. So for me, with my wedding, um, I loved it. Because this is what we wanted to do. We set out saying Shannon's parents, <clears throat> Shannon's parents were paying, and uh, and so we wanted to accommodate whatever desires they want. Her dad said, "I don't care what music you have. There is to be no rap, no rap crap." And I was like, "Oh, but remix to ignition is so important to my life." <laughs> and Shannon loves rap. I know, I know. We're <laughs> popping fresh out the kitchen. Mama's rolling their body. Got every man in here wishing. 
I'm boop, s- boop, yeah. Beep, beep, beep. Running my hands through my froze, bouncing on twenty. Sorry, but this Go is the on. thing. This is this is the best advice I give this to every couple that gets engaged. I tell them this. I said, better engagements are shorter rather than longer, but you know, you do it with what life throws at you. Um, but also this: there's no such thing as the perfect wedding. There's no such thing as perfect wedding. No such thing as a perfect reception. There's nothing that is perfect. And once you accept that, then it can be great. Because until you accept that it's not going to be perfect, if you think it's going to be perfect, you're going to burn yourself out on all the details. You're going to become a bridezilla and a groomzilla. You're going to do all that stuff because you're going to make all these like absurd demands on yourself, on guests. You're going to be like, well, I wish so-and-so was more like, you know, like you end up putting all these expectations that don't need to happen if you're expecting perfection. But if you're just expecting a great thing, a great liturgy, a great, you know, vows, great reception, great food, not the best food, not the perfect food, but just great food, then you know that, that it's actually going to be great. Like you can actually plan for greatness. You can't plan for perfection. And I remember telling that to one of my former teens who got married and she said that was the best advice because my, my dad was trying to make it perfect. And so he's like, no, we're getting a live band. We're doing this, doing that. And she put the kibosh on him. I was just like, nope, 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 nope. I want people to have fun. I want them to dance. We're doing a DJ. You know, I want this. I want that. So that was, I don't know. That was my big thing. And then the last thing was plan for your, mar- or prepare for your marriage, not your wedding. Yeah. And that's been, that's something that I think we've done a lot of, which has been a tremendous blessing. I, I, and I think it's only happened because of our age. Yeah. yeah I agree. This is going to sound really odd. I reached a point in my life where I was okay if I was not going to get married because I knew I was always going to be dating. There's, okay, well, that's that sounds weird. I'm I knew I would this. have a line of ladies waiting for me. Well, yeah, I mean, and like, I would yeah, just like, plow I never one lacked. through the other. <laughs> I never lacked like a girl to date. You know, I was like, <laughs> if it's not going to work out, I'm going to keep going because I feel like I'm called to do this. You're called to but, date. You are such a Franciscan student. I feel like the Lord has called no, me to no, be a serial not, dater. That's <laughs> not what I meant at all. Actually, the exact opposite. What I was trying to say was I was happy with my life. And very much it's like, if this is what it's going to be for a while, I'm really cool with this. Like, this is fine. Yeah. It's a roller coaster, but that's what makes life enjoyable. No, but, actually. But so are you. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Well, high school. Luke. Uh, what? High school, Luke. You were an emotional roller coaster. Oh, God is not American. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I was so proud about that. And my Jesus with dreadlocks shirt. Go on. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. So what's really cool is that when, when I met. You've dated some awesome women uh, and some crazies, um, but the cool thing was, like, I've always loved the. I, I could always see why you liked the women that you liked, like the the their personality, their social skills, for lack of a better term. They they were great people that you could that anyone could have a fun time with. You know, they, even the girls that you didn't date but that you liked. You know that that you were really close to. Um, yeah. Great, you know, they, you could tell why you like them. But I feel like Aaron, when I met Aaron, and I've only met her, I've met her twice now, um, or like in two different visits, um, she's phenomenal. And from the first moment, you and, and Jaeger's wife, uh, when I met, I was just like, I, I literally, on the first day I met her, I just went up and I said, just marry her. Just, this is the one. Yeah, Don't do the bull crap. Just marry her. And for you, like everyone, you know, I would call, I called Shannon. I was like, this is the one that Luke is either A, going to get married, or B, will be like, the top line of his like, 
I don't know, emo song that he starts writing for the next four years. <laughs> That's cool because it's so painful and sad because it's so painful. <laughs> Do you remember that one song that I wrote uh-huh. with uh, Jim Wagenfuss and you had a team was like, this is the greatest thing ever. And I was like, dude, a lot of pain came out of that. A lot of pain. As the whole world drowns, we'll walk <laughs> on the water. As the whole world drowns, we'll walk. I wrote that 25. Oh, man. What an asshole. All right. Um, yeah, it just the thing that I love Luke. about Aaron more than anything else, her money. Shh. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, well, I can't. I'll use a glare. I know. I'm trying nope. to show. It's this time. Nope. Oh, time's up. All right. No, but no, talk about Aaron. Just say your last statement. Think Why do you love the woman that you're going to marry? She's just one of the greatest people that I've ever met. One of the greatest persons that I've ever met. She's just amazing. She's absolutely amazing, and she's so different than me. That's so true. It's she likes so, economics. Like you enjoy spending money. <laughs> she enjoys saving it. She's articulate. I have a speech impediment. <laughs> In case people listening to this podcast don't know, Luke has a slight <laughs> stutter. A slight stutter. <laughs> can I tell you? Can I tell you what's the best part? Is someone was asking me about the podcast. They're like, "What do you like? How do you know this guy?" And I was like, "Oh man, I met Luke in college." Blah blah blah. And I was like, "But just it's not a it's like not a great podcast because it's just <laughs> I have this inferiority complex where I have to undersell it, and then if someone likes it, it's a win, oh, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's how I do yeah. this. And uh, and then um, I met this every time I meet someone who has a stutter, who's an adult. I always want to be like, dude. My best friend has a stutter. Let's talk about this. <laughs> I feel like that's my in with them, but then I realize they probably don't even want me pointing it out. And this is oh, episode no. like number nine, and Luke has never talked about it. So the only reason why I am is because I'm drinking. That's a probably an, <laughs> a whole other issue. I actually thought about making that an episode. Hey, let's do it right now. You got ten minutes. All right, <laughs> Luke Carey. Have you ever? How long have have you? Uh, wait, no. Let me let me come at this with a, a, a fun way. Luke, I love you. And I love you with your stutter. I couldn't imagine you without your stutter because it is awesome. Discuss. As you take a drink. I wait right until you take a drink and then I ask you to start talking. Let me just do this while we're on the podcast right now really quick. Oh, yeah. Sweet Coke Zero. Um, You know, it's interesting because I've never put myself – only recently have I started to put myself in the position of you guys, of how you view – me with that in the, with that being part of the context what like how we view you with a stutter yeah because i've never thought about it until recently yeah because it's a part of you yeah and i've always accepted it and i've always been like well I've, i really do think especially in high school when that could have been a big issue i never let it define me it's never hurt me with girls for the most part uh if anything it was even better um because i felt sorry for you i guess i don't know <laughs> just kidding uh, <laughs> I don't know, but it really never, I mean, never like, um, but it has been more of a cross the past three years than I think I've ever wanted it to be. Oh yeah. And I've, yeah. And I've, 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 I mean, I've kind of talked about this with you and John and Adam a bit. Uh, I'm going to be going to speech therapy. I started going back for some things because the hardest part, and I don't want to admit this and it's, it's not a cop out. It's not an, it's not an, it's not an excuse, but it's a reality I've had to face is with certain types of employment. It makes it really hard. Yeah. 
job interviews, things like that. Can I tell uh, you, though, you nail those? Because I was a reference for one of your job interviews to become a principal, which, mm-hmm. you, which you were. And uh, the guy called me up, and he's like, hey, this is great. And the guy was so full of energy, and I, like, instantly wanted to be his friend. And so we started talking. Yeah, we started talking, and then uh, so I give this glowing recommendation. He's like, "Yeah, we really like him too. We really like him." And then at the very end, he goes, "Now, I got one question for you, and this in <laughs> no way, let me be utterly clear, will affect. Such, I know exactly will affect his employment. Will affect our consideration." He goes, "But I have one question," and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm like, yeah, Luke is white. I'm sorry, no." And he <laughs> said, uh, "Does he have a stutter?" And I just started laughing. I was like. Yeah, <laughs> like, and he said, the funniest thing is Luke has done two Skype interviews with us and he's never stuttered, never once. Never. And then he came and I was like, well, he's probably just nervous because usually that like can aggravate, you know, like all that stuff. And he's like, yeah, but he just never had it. And I go, you should hear him rap. No stutter at all. He can drop a fat POD beat on your face. And there it is. Yeah, it's um the worst part about it. This is the worst part is when you ha- you know the right words, you know how to articulately express what you're trying to say, and you can't. It's the absolute... The only thing that is worse to me than that, and I, I truly mean this, these are things that I think I would put above that being worse. Okay. When I make Aaron cry, that's what I mean. like when I've heard a feeling, so when I've said something, I can tell that I've caused her to have this emotional reaction. Yeah. That makes me feel horrible. Mm-hmm. My dad's death... Let me think what else. That might be it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, like, like it's really it's hard for me to stop and think about things that when I have to just the, the inability, like there it's it it comes in waves. Yeah. So how I how I tried to explain it to Aaron was try to imagine that when you are nervous, your body reacts in a certain way, and you can kind of process that well like my body will react in a way that i at times i can control it and at times i i can't one of the things that's, that's happened over the past two years is i've actually started to run out of breath which has never happened a wow. before yeah it's really interesting I've, I've i've started to talk and i've and the stutter started and i've run out of breath which has never happened before so it's like a, an evolving form of how of how speech impediment, like how it affects you or whatever. I don't. I, I don't know if I would say evolving. That I mean, I. I don't actually. I don't know. It. It could be, or it might just be how it manifests itself. Mm. But it. It's one of those things where, like, when it's brought up to me, I get very uncomfortable. I, I'll probably skip over this part of the podcast. Only reason why I'm okay now is because I'm about three beers in. Luke, Luke, I got one word for you. You ready for this? Authentic. Oh, it's true. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. So it just because we never talk about this. I've known you no, since two thousand and one, and we probably yeah. had two conversations about this. Yeah, I've barely talked about it with any of our friends, but we all um, talk about it about you all the time behind your back, <laughs> like constantly. It's literally the only thing we talk about. Hey, Luke's getting married. Yeah, but so, um, you know, and the, like the only people that's not true. Yeah, so, like, he's laughing. So everyone knows that it's not true. Um, it, yeah, it's um. It's something that I, I kind of want to start to put out there a little bit more because I don't. I, so I, um, I subscribe to uh, our stutter on Reddit, and I started to talk to Aaron about it. It's just a couple of the stuff that I read. And I got really choked up because it just. I, it was a teenager, and he was just like, "How am I going to talk to girls?" How am, and I just. I was reading this uh, kid's thoughts, and I was like, "Oh, it's just." 
and it just it started becoming a pity party mm-hmm. with a lot of people in there, and, and that can happen. You can feel it's very easy to get down on yourself and be like, I didn't get that job. And there there was one time when I interviewed for a job for, for sure that I knew actually twice that I knew I didn't get another interview because of that. But I can't blame them for that because they can't have a person in, in that role who can't communicate effectively. Or no, actually, no, so that'd be the wrong way. Um, efficiently. Okay. In an X amount, not effectively. That'd be the wrong that, that that'd be the that'd be the wrong word. Efficiently. You know what I mean? Like in X yeah. amount of time, they've got to get through X amount of information. If you have solder, you can't do that. And that's not a fair to your employer or the or the people you're on the phone with as well. So um you know, and it, it has been there are times when I've when I have listened to our podcast and I've cringed. And it's been honestly a little bit painful, and I've had because I compare it to other podcasts that I listen to, and I go, oh, "I can like, why can't I be like you know Chris Hardwick or a Mark Marin or um, Dan Management, Lee Laporte, you know whoever?" And I'm like, "Well, I can't. I just have to be me." And I do appreciate your patience as well with that. Like honestly, it, it does mean a lot that you're willing to do that because uh, it's such. I mean, it's a verbal medium. You know, there's no there's no hiding it. There's, there, there isn't. So, anyways, uh, how much time do we have? If we're, if two minutes, over, man. Two painful minutes. long minutes. You ready? <laughs> Keep going. I love this. No, no. I mean, the the reality is, we don't want to talk about the thing that is the most, uh, like our biggest social weakness. You know, it's like mm-hmm. we all have flaws, we all have sins, we all have like hab- habitual sins. I shouldn't say we all have habitual sins, but we have those things that we go to or things that we. Well, let's keep it on on this kind of level. We have physical things that don't fit what society calls normal. Right. And so that prevents us. That's like a, a, a place of embarrassment, a place of shame, a place of um, woundedness. Um, relationships have been wounded, like you were saying, jobs, you know, all this stuff. You find it to be limiting. You find it to be um, embarrassing. Like for me, I'm fat as fat can be. I got a, I lost like a ton of weight. I was rocking it. And then I got a job that was an hour and a half away from where I lived. And so commuting, I put on about 60 pounds in the span of a handful of months. Um, it was brutal. It was brutal um, until I got a rhythm of driving and, and yeah, all this stuff. And then, uh, yeah, and then when, when I start working a lot, a lot of my work is sitting. So uh, it's, yeah. So I don't ever like talking about my weight. I don't like trying on clothes. I go to the store, buy clothes, throw them on my body or throw them in the bag, walk out. I never try them on. And then I get home and I, like, kick myself because – I never tried them on and they don't fit. They're too small, you know, or something like that. And I'm like, damn it. I even bought a bigger size, son of a bitch. So, you know, and then that adds up to like when we don't talk about this stuff, I feel like it adds more weight to the embarrassment side of it. But then when we do talk about it, it's just there's a whole level. Like you said, it's cringeworthy. Like, I don't want to talk about this stuff at all. I don't want to talk about when I bend over. I got red lines that form where my fat rolls are. I don't want to talk about that shit. (laughs) But at the same time, you're like, but once I say it, like, other people know it, but they, but no one talks about it because I haven't given them permission to. And I kind of don't want to because it's something that I don't want to talk about, you know? So it's like this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I found the job interviews when I bring it up in the beginning. Yeah. Oh, time's up. Just say, hey, I have a stutter. FYI, and usually it kind of breaks the ice. All right. Hey, I have a stutter. FYI and FU. Okay. <laughs> What's so, the next thing? Uh, y- crap. You said the last one. If you, you brought that up. I did. That was good. Okay, so should we go pop culture one? Yeah. Ant-Man. 
<laughs> oh no, Ant Man. Uh, so I saw it. Saw it with a friend of. Wait, 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 wait. What to quote the amazing in comparable podcast. Spoiler horn, everyone. So change to wait. I'm gonna leave a quick space for Gomer to put in the time. Change to time. And uh, if you don't want to know about Ant Man, okay. So apparently, I'm supposed to skip ahead. Um, and you're supposed to edit your I'm voice. Supposed to in ed- there to yeah, say gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm probably not going to do that, and you're just going <laughs> to look like an idiot. Okay, really quiet. Okay. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, so what I'll say about Ant Man. Ant Man was not that funny. Uh, there were funny parts to it that you can see in the trailer and a couple more parts. I felt like Paul, like this is the problem that I feel with some of these movies. They're not like they hire actors to be the funny guy and then they tamper down their funniness like Jurassic World and Chris Pratt or Paul Rudd and Ant-Man. There's a handful of scenes where he starts to get into that Paul Rudd routine. That's why I bought the ticket. I want to see Paul Rudd as Ant-Man. I want to see Paul Rudd's Ant-Man. I don't want to see someone else's. And so he has a handful of things like he interrupted a touching moment between Evangeline Lilly and Michael Douglas. And he's like, oh, did I just interrupt that? I'm sorry. Are you sure? You know, that that was a bad take that they used on that. I know. I know. I felt like I remember like it felt very high school playish. Yes. Hey, like everybody. Oh, fun- I'm sorry. Did I just interrupt? You're like- it was the funny guy in high school who was put in a play. <laughs> and then you you are laughing because he's the funny guy in high school, not because that part is actually funny, even though it's meant to be a funny part. Yeah. So in terms of Ant-Man, in terms of the re- – or looking at Ant-Man in terms of the rest of the Marvel comic – Marvel Cinematic Universe – it was a f- it was a fun movie. It's definitely a, a, yeah, a rental. I, I mean, like you, you can you can watch it. You know everything. I feel like you know pretty much everything that's going to happen when you watch the trailer. Um, yeah. The only thing you don't know about is that his little girl has a stepdad or soon to be stepdad or whatever, um, and that guy kind of factors into the you know kind of the intertwining. But everything you know, like okay, so Michael Douglas invents the Ant Man thing at his corporation and then has to hide it because it's a weapon, and then the guy gets forces him out of the company. And then he creates something similar called Yellow Jacket, and then they fight all over the place. Oh, look, they're and fighting. And it's obvious where it's going to end up. Yeah, in his daughter's like, room. Of like, course it's going to be his daughter. It was so obvious his daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. to throw in the little yeah. train. It's funny, but this is the problem with trailers is they are spoilers. They're, no, see, I don't think it's necessarily the trailer, although I agree. I'm, well, They are because trailers are yeah, not created. Yeah, I just found this out. True. Trailers are created by the marketing department. They're not created yeah. by like no, the no, director no, no. and producer selling the movie. And that's actually why a lot of movies don't make money back. Because they spend so much money on marketing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the other things. Like, technically, technically, Back to the Future lost money. Yeah, which is sad. Yeah, sorry. But, um, sorry. Take a you, take you, a you, that's, that's the thing that I want to. I love that. That's probably my favorite movie, I think. I love that movie. You Are would. you telling me my mom has the hots for me? Do you remember in college when I had that shirt that said, Say hello to your mom for me? Yeah. You know who we have to have on this podcast? Tom Wilson. He's Biff. He's Catholic. I saw him at a live Oh, yeah. No, totally. He's cool. Out in Orange County. Luke, I turned Luke, around. Luke, we do not have the star power. Yes, we do. He has a podcast. Listen, we can. Okay, no, we don't have the star power. We have like eight people who like us on Facebook. Thank you to those eight people. Ant-Man. Um, Ant-Man. Ant-Man. So <laughs> we'll make it happen. We'll the, make it happen. It was very obvious to me. I could see Edgar Wright's influence on that film. And it really bothered me that I didn't get to see. And I think the guy who was, I mean, God bless the guy who had to direct the movie. I don't remember his name off the top of my head. I would not want to have that job. So Did you know that there were 10 producers? 
that was absurd. I, I think uh, John Favreau still gets money off of like all the Marvel films. Really? It's props for him. Why? Because he was supposed to be the Joss Whedon like guy. He was supposed to be the one who's in charge of all of everything. And then he ran into issues, which is the same thing that happened with Edgar Wright, with uh, Kevin Feige, who I like. I, yeah. I think what he's trying to do is good. And, I, and, I, and he was trying to – the thing with him and Edgar Wright is that Edgar Wright didn't want to have a lot of, of the Marvel Easter eggs in his film. He didn't want it to be – there are certain things that have to be in there to be a Marvel film. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And Edgar Wright wasn't going to go along with that. So I don't blame him uh, for wanting to get rid of him. It just sucks because I could see how – because I remember hearing Joss Whedon say, I wish people could have seen what was this film was going to be because it, I think it could have been uh, it could have been incredible. And I saw – I don't know if you're a big Edgar Wright guy. Have, have you seen the um, – I forget what they're called, uh, but the stuff he did with, um, with Simon Pegg, the uh, three films? I don't know. You – um, oh gosh, they're great. You have like Shaun of the Dead. Oh yeah, yeah. Love those. Fuzz. Yeah, and so and, and it's very much I could tell that the script was in the style of those films because him and Adam uh, McKay and a few other people helped write that script. And it felt a lot like Ed, it, it felt Edgar Wright-ish. Okay. The screenplay was written by Edgar Wright, Joe Cornish, Adam McKay, and Paul Rudd. And And Paul Rudd? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I thought he had a the reason why I looked that up is I thought he had um, he was a producer, and then I was like, "Oh, there's ten producers." And then I started looking through, and I'm like, "Oh dear, this is made by like five thousand people." And that's that's what killed the Simpsons movie. I, like one of the things that I don't I don't understand. Well, right now I think we have enough information and evidence that proves that more cooks in the kitchen is bad. Yeah, look at the Simpsons movie. They had the idea. Bring in all their best writers. So they had like 30 writers who worked on that film, and it's horrible. It's a horrible movie. What movie? It's not good. Oh, the Simpsons movie. Oh, yeah. Now, there are some h- hilarious parts, and those parts come from the people whose style of writing that show that you like. Yeah. It's easy to see who did what if you really pay attention to that show. But as a whole, the film blows. It blows. Did you really just say that? I did, but I, I just I hope that the loss of Joss Whedon doesn't destroy what I, I, I want Infinity Wars to be some of the best movies ever. And that's what they have to be. There's so much build up towards that. Do you know what I think it it's going to be? be amazing? Do you know what I think it's going to be? What? I think it's going to be a central bad guy with some supporting bad guys and then a whole bunch of mindless fighters that you got to fight through. Mindless villains you got to fight through, like Avengers one, and exactly like Avengers two. Uh, but see, Avengers two had some stuff that I liked, but it, but again, it goes back to that thing of there's trying to do, like I'm curious to see the Joss Whedon. I hope they I hope that they make this happen. His original cut is like three hours long. Yeah, I want to see that. I, re- of I really Ant Man or of Avengers? No, of Avengers. 2. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to see the fleck is where. He, I just, I mean, I trust the Orisso brothers. I yeah. think they're going to do a good, I thought that Captain America 2 was great. Yeah. I put it totally. on par with the first Avengers. It's one of the best ones. I think Guardians of the Galaxy might be my, out of all the ones, that's my. Guardians of the Galaxy is fun. It is a totally. So much and fun. Captain America isn't fun in the same way because it's more serious. I mean, the whole thing is like political thriller. 
That's not a you, you know political thrillers aren't fun. I mean, they, you can have they're entertaining, but they're not fun. Yeah. I know? just I hope that Joss Whedon. I just hope that he's the voice of reason in Infinity Wars. Because if not, they're going to be bad. Yeah, it's so so big, so big. Too, I really just so hope Black Panther is ten times better than Ant Man. Ant Man was fine. It was fun. Anyone should rent that movie. Should you see it in the big screen? Yeah. Probably not. I don't. I mean, you can, you can. I won't judge you because I did it, and I'd the probably do it again. Was, for me, the best part was the Batman versus Superman trailer. That looks, that was so awesome. Yeah. Uh, and uh, have you seen the Suicide Squad trailer too? Yeah, I was, I was okay with that. Which, you know what? Okay, h- how much time? We have thirty yeah. seconds. All right. Here's gonna be our last thing. Well, not our last thing. I don't care. I don't care how long we go. Should we go? Okay. Should we talk about a religion thing or a culture thing? Let's do a religion thing and then a culture thing, and then we'll end it. All right. Cool. The people uh, need to hear this, Luke. Agree. I totally agree. And the coolest thing is with these 10 minute segments, we can just cut one of them out and just throw them <laughs> away. And then Gomer's going to, well, you know, we need to talk about race in Marvel comics. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what we need to talk about really quick? Hoosiers. Okay. Um, all right. Starting the right. timer. Give me a religion thing. I don't know. You were, this oh, am I supposed to do it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it, okay. It I'll talk about, uh, how I talk about, um, and we've touched on this before, but you know, we've got 10 minutes. I have some new examples, I guess maybe of uh, talking about the faith to people who are on the margins. Ooh, go on. So I spend most of my nights worried about the margins, not about the, the, the people that do everything. Most religious programs uh, are, number one, they're programs. Number two, they're centered at the parish. They revolve around the life of the parish. And number three, they cater to the people that do most of the stuff. Um, I've been having a lot of frank conversations with different ministry leaders in um, who are underneath me in adult faith formation at my parish. And part of that conversation, I've been saying, listen, we fight each other because we're all fighting for the same, you know, 400 people that come to everything and do everything. And we know that they have a limited amount of time. So we fight over them in order to get them to come to our programs or our classes or our events. And I said, but what we're not doing is we're not focusing on literally 92% of our adult population, which are Catholics who marginally practice. And you can define that marginally as once a year, once every couple of years, twice a year, or once a month. Anything that is not every Sunday and holy day of obligation. So when I sit back and I look at all of this stuff, it starts to piss me off that no one cares about the missing, we'll just say 90%. In many parishes, it's way more than 90%. In my parish, it's probably less than 90%, somewhere around there. Um, my, you know, kind of the back of the envelope math got about uh, 10% of our adult, of our registered adult population, somewhat affiliated with our church, 10% of them are involved in something, right? Whether it's their Eucharistic minister, they're um, in adult faith formation, they help out with St. Vincent de Paul Society, whatever it is. And so I'm trying to figure out how do we reach the people who don't come? How do we reach the people who rarely come? And because that's going to be the group that is the single largest group that we're not talking about or we're not talking to. So I use Focus's model, win, build, send. That's how they do it. They win people for Christ who don't know Christ, build them up to Christian maturity, and then send them out. What do we do? Well, we go to a church where people already have some sort of affiliation with Catholicism, whether it's they love their parish, they love Catholicism in general, they're politically aligned with conservative Catholicism or liberal Catholicism, whatever it is, or they have a personal relation with Jesus Christ within the Catholic Church and a hearty sacramental practice and they love theology, whatever it is. We cater everything towards them. And then, and because they're the ones that will more than likely come to our program. So we say, hey, we got this great Bible study. Oh, I want to study the Bible. Let's do this. And then that's it. We don't ask them to go out. Jeff Cavins, who created a whole biblical study system, The Great Adventure from Ascension Press, which is phenomenal, he was at a conference where he's like, it's like DREs get a new 10-week Bible study. 
and they get it and they say, all right, everyone, belly back up to the trough for another 10 weeks. Instead of being like, all right, no, we're done. You're cut off. You're like a, a grown-ass person living in your parents' basement. Move out and move on. And he used that way. He didn't say grown-ass, but he used, <laughs> he used the phrase. Maybe uh, he should have. Yeah, he should have. Would have really got that point across. But his whole point was we don't have specific ways to – we don't have a track to put people – like I, I don't really believe, but I kind of want to. I'm seeking. Where do we put them in the Catholic Church? The Knights of Columbus? You, you put someone – was that? We don't have anything. Right. And so there was one. Well, I mean, we have a handful of things, but they're not well known. The things, all the money. Stuff. Yeah, we we do stuff. Um, The thing is that the money is in formation. The money is in for people who already get it. Right. That's where the money is in terms of producing all this stuff. So I feel like the corner of the market that I want to do is for the win part and the send part. Because no one's producing or very few people are producing. Now, the most famous thing that a lot of Catholic churches are adopting is something that comes from the Anglican world called Alpha. Have you ever heard of that? Mm, no, we yeah. go on. So there's alpha, which is what we would call the kerygma. Kerygma is a fancy Greek word that means the preaching. And it kind of is like the basic gospel message as opposed to the teaching or the, the didache, the teaching, which is in like what we would call catechesis. So you preach the gospel. There's that initial proclamation, what some people call evangelism, that initial proclamation. And then once people respond in faith, then we mature them through catechesis. So that's that, that initial proclamation, though, that's what stirs faith. And if you don't do that initial proclamation and you only do catechesis, you can't get the response of faith. You can only get agreement, which is a human thing. You can't get assent. You can only get agreement. And what happens? Well, when something comes down the line, like Laudato Si from Pope Francis, you have a bunch of people who are politically this or politically that, and they'll say, well, I disagree with that. And then, and then all of a sudden, or you have humane vitae, and they say, I disagree with that. That's not my Catholic church. And the whole thing is you haven't entered into a relationship with Christ through faith because you never were invited. You never heard the proclamation of the gospel. You might know the whole New Testament, but you have never had it proclaimed to you. And so what I try to do, what Alpha does, and there's a group called, or there's a subcategory of Alpha called Alpha in a Catholic context, because... When you do the basic proclamation, 99% of it is the exact same, whether you're Catholic or Protestant, but there's a little area of like faith alone kind of creeps in, once saved, always saved Mm kind of creeps in. And Mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly, but there's like one or one and a half classes that are a little bit off. So there's, they supplement it with Catholic material. So it's called Alpha in a Catholic Context, sweeping through Europe. They have 30 seats on the Pontifical Council for the New Evangelization. Uh, Father Raniero Cantalamesa fully supports it, and he's the preacher to the papal household. He's not some wackadoo heretic. Um... And Matt Marr is in the video. He's in the video supporting it. So, you know, it's authentically Catholic. <laughs> Matt. We can get him on the pocket at some point in time. No, he's, uh, too, he's in Nashville now. He's too big. Listen, but, I met him one time at a bar, and he was very nice. Oh, man, he's, uh, I, he's incredible. But I also, one time, I was at a concert, and he said, hey, pretend like you're a part of the band. And instead you ruined of, it for us. And instead of being part of the band, I went and told everyone that I write all of his songs. <laughs> All right, really quick. One thing that I want to add is I, I really like what you are saying, and it reminds me to put you in contact. Remind me to try to get you in contact with some other people. Anyways. Um, <laughs> with some people who <laughs> shall not be named, just like your last yeah. name. Yeah. Um, I agree with you about the proclamation part, yeah. but one thing that I think is important is kind of ties into with, with some of the stuff when we talked about race is that we cannot assume – that proclamation alone is enough. Yeah, and that's why you don't need just you need the maturation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and and and, and 
I know what you meant. I just want to say to people like, <laughs> how do I put this? Friendships, not culture wars. Yeah. That's what provides, that's the, that is all of the fertile ground, if you will, for proclamation. I'm going to hear you out on things because we have 14 years of friendship. We, we, just, we can't assume that because we put it on Twitter or on Facebook and we proclaim it that because it's truth, people are going to respond. Yeah, I would say – I would go so, so far as say putting it on Facebook or Twitter pretty much is antithetical to what the proclamation is. Oh, um, it's very counterproductive. Yeah, yeah it's very counterproductive yeah. because – and especially when you say truth. This is truth in your face with truth because yeah. that's actually what the billboard by the this weird church that – I don't even, I can't even understand what this church is. But it's like this is Christ's truth. He came, he died, and he's coming back and you better believe or, you know, or else. Um, yeah. So what I mean by initial proclamation is that it's initial, right? And there's stuff that even happens before that called pre-evangelization, which is things like apologetics, things like building a personal friendship, all that stuff. All this stuff is, is bound into the whole notion of what we're talking about because what I'm talking about is a track. So you start with the win, but you don't stay in the win. You don't stay in the, oh, I've heard the gospel. It's then, okay, now I'm making a – the win section ends when you make a decision to follow Christ. And then that decision to follow Christ continues into what we call ongoing conversion where that's where catechesis comes in. That's where you're built up. But for us, we don't cater to the win crowd, the crowd that we have to win. We don't at all. And then we don't send people in the build part. We don't send the build people out to go get the win people. That's my bugaboo. One thing that I, I might push back on a little bit is Christocentrism. <laughs> no one's gonna get that, and I love it. Uh, well, one person will. One person will, and I love you, buddy. Yeah, uh, you're. I love you. Um, yeah. Pushback. Apologetics, I believe, should only come for the most part after a person has. It, 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 well. It's different for everyone. It's 100% because, for instance, for most teenagers, what I have to do when I do like a conference is most of the time I have to – I start with the fact that they have no faith, right? That's where I start. Some of them do. They don't need what I'm going to say. But I have to start with the fact that many of them have no faith. And if I have no faith and I'm in high school, what's the reason for that? Well, the reason for that is you're bored at mass. So what I do is I engage in apologetics of – apologetics just means a defense of the faith. It doesn't mean flinging Bible verses at people. True. You know? Yeah. I just think for a lot of adults, a lot of adults trying to gauge in, apolog in apologetics, and I don't think that's really going to be – I think it's pointless unless there's a relationship built and there's already an yeah. openness to what you have to say. And the reason why is because you have never been invited by me to challenge my priorities. And I always use the example of why I got so pissed off at a checkout counter cashier at a grocery store for when I was buying a single can of Coke Zero. She said, you know, that is not good for you. And I wanted to choke slam her. Why? Because I, she had no business telling me. Yeah. You know, it's like, yep. and, and it could be anything. It can be something as stupid as a coke. Oh, oh, I had no idea aspartame was bad for my brainstem. Thank you. You know, I knew this was, you know, that daddy needs caffeine is really what it was all about. But <laughs> that's the whole thing about building French evangelism should, should not always, but should take place most commonly within the context of already existing friendships. That's the nine, nine times out of 10. That's where it should happen. Yep. Existing relationships. Okay, our time's up. Luke, pop culture, send us out. Last one. DC is putting all their money in Batman versus Superman. 
It looks amazing. Yeah. They have the casting down. I think for the most part, I, I mean, Jeremy Irons, Alfred. Oh, that's awesome. I'm sold. I'm sold. And I, a little bit. Okay. All of you people who are upset about Jared Leto cast as the Joker, like, shut the hell up. It looks fine. It looks fine. Do you know what it are is? Gonna... I, we were talking about this tonight because um, I played the Suicide Squad video. Um, it's great. And people were like, they were like, oh, okay, so what does this have to do with Heath Ledger? And I was like, nothing. Those three nothing. movies have nothing to do, the, you know, the Batman, the Dark Knight, or what is it? Batman Begins, the Dark Knight, the Dark Knight Returns. Those have nothing to do with Batman versus Superman. This is in the movie universe of Man of Steel. This is not in the Nolan, the Nolverse of Christopher Nolan's trilogy. So once people get around that, I say, listen, what are they supposed to do? Do a, like a, a ripoff of Heath Ledger? Heath Ledger did an amazing an amazing job as the, the Joker. The best villain ever. Yeah, and you can't ever. copy that. You can't copy that, no. and it would be stupid to copy it, but this is what I love about the new version of the Joker, is he's more like the comic book character. Yep. Like, and he's he's the guy that, this is the thing that I love about two things, three things. Batman's fat bat, right? It's the fat bat symbol. Mm-hmm. Number one, that's mm-hmm. awesome. Number two, the white eyes when they fight, and he's got the superpower suit. In all the Batman comics and, and cartoons that I grew up reading and watching, he's got the white eyes when he puts on the mask. I love white-eyed Batman. Um, and uh, number three is that the Joker looks and talks like crazy Joker from the show, from, the, from all of this. He's a crazy psychopath. And I think they were saying to themselves, should we do the Heath Ledger realism kind of thing or this green-haired weirdo kind of thing? And they went with a green-haired weirdo, and I'm glad they did. I trust Jared Leto as an actor. I think he's amazing. I really enjoyed him in Dallas Buyers Club, which is a whole other story. See, I don't trust uh, him as an actor. I trust him as a friend. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to remember the song from 10... Wait, wait. What was the show he was on back in the, back in the I, 90s? I have no idea. My So-Called Life. Yeah, My So-Called Life, which I'm also, I just started Homeland. Weird show. We show. Clear I want to get into the Americans one. The um, yeah, gotcha. Soviet spies. Anywho, yeah. uh, so DC. Well, you can't say they're putting it all on Batman versus Superman. I mean, they are because this is their massive uh, thing. But they've already they, made Suicide Squad. Well, no, I agree. But when? But that's not. Well, I'm just you're saying right. you're right. You're right. But they've but already made the sequel. They're doing all the big stuff up front. Yeah. They're doing the inverse of what they did in the Marvel universe. Yeah, right. And I the problem that I have is I love, I'm going to screw up his last name, David Moyer, I believe, who's the writer for Man of Steel and did some stuff on The Dark Knight and Batman Begins. He's kind of the, he's the Whedon-esque guy of the DC universe. They got Superman wrong. Yeah. They were were this close to getting it right. And we talked about before in this podcast. I I think they were a couple of decisions away from, from getting it really really right i hope they've learned the air of their ways it seems like maybe they have i'm excited to see where they go with it yeah i'm all in on dc right now but, but that's just that's <laughs> just based on the trailers yeah i mean dc revived comic book movies with batman begins and they paved the oh, way. Hands that, down. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And then Marvel coming out with their individual characters and then tying them all together into Avengers and tying them all together. It was yeah. Amazing. And then DC amazing. just, I mean, Man of Steel. Man of Steel. I remember when I got out of that movie, I called you guys and you, or I was texting you guys and you guys, well, what'd you think? What'd you think? Because I was the first one to see it and I was like, it's better than the Avengers. And you're like, really? And I was like, I love this movie. And then I went and saw it again and I was like, uh, 
I was high on euphoria because <laughs> I, of all people, I'm a Superman fanatic, right? I love Superman and I love Batman, but I love Superman the most. I grew up reading his comics and paying large sums of money for them. Um, so every time I see him on the screen, I get so excited. And I saw Man of Steel. And here's the other thing. I always hate it when there's like worldwide calamity. And what ends up happening is it's like the threat of we're taking over the world, but like one building gets like scuffed. And in Superman or Man of Steel, they were like, you know what? Screw it. We're knocking down every building we can find. And all these buildings blew up. And and I was like, I was so excited. Like you, the Terminator, tra- not Terminator, Transformers movie. Um, there's one of the Transformers movies where they're like, I don't, Rise, it wasn't Rise of the Fall. What's Rise of the Fall? I don't know. Those are all awful movies. But there was one, and I watch them all. Um, there was one <laughs> scene where they're like, or the whole point of the movie was they're going to take over the world. And then they, like, blew up a building in Chicago, and that was, like, the equivalent. That was it. And then I saw Man of Steel, and I was like, this is awesome. Everybody dies. And then <laughs> Everybody I watched, must go. Yeah, but I hated, I hated Superman killing the guy. You know what's funny about yep. the way that Man of Steel, the way that <laughs> Superman killed General Zod was, that was so annoying, was he's punching, they're punching each other through buildings. Mm-hmm. Does nothing. Then he breaks his neck. How do you, how does that, <laughs> what is that? You know, and I don't mind they put that question to him is that either he has to sacrifice that guy and his kids or he has to kill Zod. What do you do? That's, I'm totally fine with that. Okay, here's the deal. Why didn't he just fly up? Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to. Um, don't do it. I'm going to have to break your neck. You're going to kill this family. I'm going to have to break your neck. You could do literally 50 other things. The one thing that I, that I'm, and I don't know if this was their intention. To be honest, I doubt it because there's a lot of backlash against that whole thing. Yeah, people were like, "This is not what Superman does." I like that Bruce Wayne is going after him. Yeah, because one of Wayne Towers went down. Yeah, Wayne Financial. I think that's really cool. Okay, so what happened? That's well, really cool. So what happened was when Man of Steel came out and all the destruction happened, and if you go and listen to the incomparable episode on it, it's actually really great. They talk Which about it. Do. Yeah, yeah, uh, and maybe even review is another show. Um, but they talk about it, and they're like, "You can." Jason Snell said, "You cannot, you cannot have buildings get destroyed in a post nine eleven America without like wrapping your like making it either like totally evil or really like." You, you just can't do that anymore. You can't just do it with no explanation. Yep. And in, in Man of Steel, yeah, and in Man of Steel, they destroy everything. Like, they're punching. And now, it's it's not usually Superman punching people through buildings, but he's getting punched through buildings. But, the, you know, they use their heat vision, and that's what slices up Wayne Financial and all this stuff. So what they did was that was one of the reasons that they got so much blame because they're like tens of thousands of people died. You know, this was real life, and those buildings were really falling. Tens of thousands of people died. Tens of thousands, like 50, 60, 100,000 people are dead. Because of Superman. You know, he should have taken it out to the middle of the ocean and, and, and give him a what for. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, let's go let's go find Hitler and General Zahn. Feed Hitler, boys in blue. <laughs> boys in blue with the red capes are coming. Um, anyway, so he does... So that was the thing. So this is like, what, introducing a comic book term, retconning, where a future thing revisits a past thing and reinterprets it. Um, so the next, the Batman versus Superman, they're looking back at the destruction of the buildings and reinterpreting it as, oh, this is the catalyst that gets Bat- Bruce Wayne to target Superman. Which again, I don't, I kind of doubt that was their intent. No, it wasn't at all. It was but because of the backlash. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally okay with that. I am too. I am too. People are like, yeah, but it wasn't really part of it. I'm like, listen, I live in a retcon world. If you're a comic book reader, and I'm not anymore, but I used to be. You living in a retcon world, baby. So I, <laughs> I love, I love, we got a minute, 20 seconds left. So I, uh, I just want to say, 
let me talk. So let me t- <laughs> let me talk over you. Um, the thing that people need to realize about Batman v Superman is Batman's character has been being Batman for like twenty plus years. Okay, so because I heard him say twenty years. Is, yeah, so he says it, we've it, been doing this for twenty, 20 years. years. How many? How many are the good? How many of the good guys have stayed good and you know all that stuff? So when okay. he's walking through the Batcave, which doesn't look like a cave, it looks like a cool condo. Um, when he's walking through the Batcave and he it pans to the suit hanging on the or in the glass, that's Robin. That's Jason Todd's Robin, who mm-hmm. was murdered by the Joker. Joker. You know, probably yep. fifteen. Years. So this means that he has other people that he's trained as Robin. He's had the sidekick. You and they might. I think some people are saying like, oh, it's just one guy, and the one guy died, rather than the three or four other Robins that have been. But that's part of this whole thing is they're saying now he's a mature, older Batman who's been through hell and still hasn't changed the world. So what's the problem? Oh, and then here comes this god, um, and he realizes his mission is to stop this guy. I'm, I'm, so I, I picked that up when I saw it last night because I, I heard the 20-year thing, and I, was, and I forgot to go and follow up on that. So I'm excited to hear that that's true. Yeah, and so that's, in this, that's cool. if you watch the Suicide Squad trailer, there's a scene where he's uh, Batman. It's the only scene with Batman on it where he's on the Joker mobile. If you didn't know, that's what it was, this like pink neonish um, Lamborghini with Harley Quinn in it. And she's like, I hope you have insurance. And Batman's riding on the top of it. Um, that's Ben Affleck for yeah. Suicide Squad. But that's probably a flashback to how he busted Harley Quinn and where she ended up in, in Arkham or whatever prison she's in. Um, cool. So that's – that's and, and the Joker is in um, in a lot of this – or Batman is in a lot of this stuff. So it's going to be like – probably in terms of just flashbacks. It's not going to be Batman taking them out. But that would be cool if it was. I agree. I'm excited. Last quick thing before how much time we have. Time's up. Star Wars l- looks amazing. Thank you guys for listening. There's nothing Thank new you. with Star Wars, is there? There's been I a couple of like behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. But. That behind the scenes thing though was amazing. It really was. That looks so good. Um, thank you. I want to give a quick thank you to everyone on Twitter who interacts with us. I love the community of people. It's not like it's a greater Catholic a community that we're a part of. It's not like it's a Catching Foxes a community or anything like that. But I've really enjoyed that. So thank you to everyone who is listening. Uh, we are on Twitter at C Foxes Podcast at the letter C Foxes Podcast. We are on Facebook now. We have like six people who I have no idea if they actually are listening to the show because I'm doing an advertising campaign on Facebook. Um, Didn't even know about that. Thank yeah, you, so Mr. I, Social you Media. Were, you were about to have a child. Um, we That's are on Facebook.com slash Catching Foxes Podcast. Facebook.com slash Catching Foxes Podcast. Please uh, give us a like. We're on iTunes. Feel free to subscribe and review. Thank you to everyone who has reviewed as well. And write up, give iTunes. us five stars. Even if you don't five think stars. it deserves it, just do it because, damn it, I need the money. And we, <laughs> we can't listen. get money without five-star ratings. That's just we the desperately best. need the five-star. And please subscribe and actually download. Download, download, download. Mm, mm. <laughs> uh, hey, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, you can go to my website, layevangelist.com. I am constantly tweaking it because it is constantly crappy. Um, that's where this podcast is at layvandus.com slash catching foxes. Uh, I also have a handful of other things. I just finished a theology of the body week, um, on my SoundCloud account that I also have posted on the lay evangelist thing. Um, but I'm kind of everywhere. So I'm just going to give you with at lay evangelist 
um, on Twitter and uh, LayEvangelist.com. I'm on Facebook, but I don't want people to know. I don't want people to friend me from this podcast on my personal Facebook page. Do you want you that? You want that? No. I'm desperate for attention. So no, I, I run the uh, I run other Facebook accounts. So please feel free to connect with us on there. Facebook.com/slash Catching Foxes Podcast. I'm on Twitter at the Luke V at the Luke V. No one who speaks German could be evil. Uh, and I think that's it. Thank that's you for it. our first. What? How many? What was that? Like eight rounds of ten minutes. That was where we fun. went over three or four or six times. <laughs> I enjoyed uh, that. That was fun. I mean, and again, there, there are things that we talked about that if you want to hear. I promise we will get to it at more in depth. More interviews to come. Yes, and so many more because I realized that was our best show. <laughs> that, that was. Oh, seriously, can we just give it up for Arlene really quick? Oh, she seems great. Hello, Arlene. Oh, hello. Hello, oh, Arlene. Oh, oh yes, Arlene. Now, um, Arlene with uh, the interview, and she nailed it. Good job, Arlene. Good job, Arlene. Okay, really quick, funny story about that. At one point in time, I was listening to it with Aaron in the car, and I cut off Ar- Arlene to make a joke, and she laughed. And she goes, oh, I had a point, but I lost it. And then Aaron goes, I feel your pain, Arlene. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Please subscribe and download. Thanks, you guys, a lot. We're um, And if anyone wants to advertise, if you have a small Catholic business or who, who gives a crap, any type of business, we don't care. Let us know. <laughs> Bill's Plumbing, located <laughs> in sunny Sudoku, Iowa. Oh, damn it. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>